Okay, then. I, uh, as I said earlier, thank you. I, I was uh, wanted to talk about um, well, what what I've been thinking about the teaching of the eight worldly winds for a while. Um, it's been kind of percolating in my mind for actually over a month. Um, and then Tuesday, I was at a board meeting and I was asked to give the opening um, reflection. And I, this is what came up for me because it, it it's about being, it's, it's a teaching on equanimity, basically. The Eight Worldly Winds is a teaching on equanimity. It's how to remain um, steady when everything's flying around you, when you're being buffeted by these winds. How do you hold steady? How do you stay in place? And that's what equanimity is. It's this ability to be with whatever comes up. My favorite um, uh, definition of equanimity is that deep, uh, 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 deep uh, intimacy with our own experience without preference for it to be different. So that's an ability to be with reality without needing something different. So that is why I, and, and this is a perfect time to examine that because there's a bunch of winds blowing and you don't know where they're coming from. They're coming from all different directions all at once. And so to find a way to um, be more at ease is, I, I think, um, really beneficial. And the Buddha talks about this. Uh, the Buddha talks about this in many, many ways. That's really what it is. It's, it's not being buffeted by um, everything around you or your condition, your condition, conditioning. We are conditioned beings. The Buddha said that a lot. And so to recognize that and to let that conditioning go as much as we can is the recipe for being at ease because we're not attaching to anything. I was talking to a friend the other day and he we were talking about the first noble truth or and he says his his shortcut to remembering the first noble truth is it's always something. It's always something. And 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 if you think about it that's true. If you the the first noble truth is that there is suffering. Life is unsatisfactory. There is birth, there is death, there is sickness. There is um, um, aging. There, we will be uh, separated from everything we love. I mean, we're in the first noble truth right now. It's in our face. Oftentimes we can walk around and it's like somewhere else or it's not so apparent. But if you think about it, life, death, sickness, separated from everything we love, not getting what we want, losing what we have. It's a powerful, it's powerful and it's in our face. It's something every minute. That's why I think why people are so sucked into social media or, or um, other media right now, because it's like, what's, what's up? What's the news? What's happening? Is it changed? You know, even though it's, it's moving very quickly, it's not moving that quickly that we need to be in it every three minutes. So, to, to recognize that we are in the first noble truth and that it's part, it's the human condition. It's absolutely the human condition. There's no getting around it. We think we have developed mechanisms. We've, we've figured out ways to manage this stuff, but it's, it's, it's ultimately unsatisfactory. And it's, if we can accept that this is the nature 
of the of being a human being there's an ease there's a freedom that comes with that the problem is we see this happening and we um don't want it to happen we we want to avoid reality at all costs so we develop ways to um chase pleasure push away unpleasantness and the second noble truth is the cause of our second level of there's there's the unsatisfactory unsatisfactoriness of life but then our clinging to certain things doubles down on that intensifies suffering and that's the stuff we are training ourselves to let go of we're training ourselves to um, see that's what we do in meditation to see clearly oh I'm stuck in tomorrow I'm stuck in figuring something out or I'm stuck in yesterday or I'm just bouncing from all over the place I'm just so restless I can't land anywhere so to be willing to be present and stay with and recognize that oh man I am and I am creating my own problems there's there's life which is challenging enough and then I'm fighting it that just like I said it intensifies it it doubles down on it um, so how do you how do you manage this how do you work with this this is where I love the teachings of the Buddha and I think the eight worldly winds this teaching is is helpful it's also called the eight vicissitudes and vicissitudes means a change of fortune or circumstances typically one that is unpleasant so when something happens and it moves into a place of un, uh, unpleasant that's that's a vicissitude so the, these teachings are also called the eight vicissitudes and that's how Buddha was um, good at, at um, making lists and pairs and and opposites or things that that work one side or the other side and so um, let me finally go through these these there's these eight wins are four pairs so there's um, gain and loss uh, fame and ill repute or fame and disgrace um, praise and blame pleasure and pain and as human beings we experience each of these things they're gonna happen to us just because we're walking around on this planet it's it's not if we work really hard we'll only experience the the pleasant side of these things and if we work really hard we won't experience the unpleasant side of these things that's what our mind tells us that's how we operate often I don't want to lose anything I only want to gain I don't want pleasure I mean excuse me I don't want pain I only want pleasure and subconsciously we develop mechanisms to chase what we think is the pleasant side of things the good side of things and we work really hard to diminish the unpleasant and we sometimes think it's if we were better people if we worked harder it would be pleasant all the time we get that in our culture you know we get that in our culture if you are successful it's because you did it all right if you're unsuccessful if you're poor if you're marginalized it's because you did something wrong so you need to work harder instead of recognizing that if you know if it, there may be hundreds and hundreds of years of systemic discrimination that is in, impossible for you to go beyond because it's built into the system 
So um, we have a we have a cultural mythology as well that that we can't get beyond sometimes. So um, to recognize there's all these things at play, and we need to um, take a step back and say, okay, this stuff happens to all beings. How can I see recognize that? And be at ease with it, and so that's why these these eight these four categories and these eight these four pairs are helpful. So um, I have found them helpful because a lot of times when you identify something, it diminishes it, or you can work with it better. Um, it's not spiritual bypass. I meant to I meant to have the definition ready, but spiritual bypass is when you use spiritual tools or spiritual principles to diminish your experience, to actually um, deflect or move around or say, I, I am not impacted by this because I am such a spiritual giant. Um, you may not say that in so many words, but that's kind of the sense of what's happening that I have um, I've been practicing all these years and I see the I see that this is impermanence. Therefore, I will not allow myself to have the feelings that go with loss. I'm going to label it impermanence and be free. So that's what spiritual bypass is, if, if that makes sense. Um, so this is not spiritual bypass when you can name something. You can work with it at a different level. They talk about, you know, naming the demons that you meet. Like when you recognize the hindrances that show up in practice, the craving, the aversion, the restlessness, the, 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 the dullness, the doubt. If you can go, oh, that's doubt, then you can take a step back and you're not lost in it. It's not it's no longer me, 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 me. Now it's like, oh, I see this is what's happening. So let's go through these um these pairs. The first one is gain and loss. You know, that right now there's a lot. There's a lot. I was just, I was, you know, making notes. There's homes that are lost, jobs that are lost, families that are lost, 401k savings accounts that are lost. Um, normal, our idea of normal is lost. And there's a lot of grieving that can come up. And, and what we want to do is mitigate this loss and say, how do we not, you know, and the mind starts, I don't want this, I don't want this, I don't want this. Instead, the invitation is to go, what comes up with that loss? When there's this loss, this loss of, 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 of connection with others, connection is a huge thing. It's one of the, uh, uh, something that we need as, uh, we need food, shelter, um, uh, connection. It's up there. It's in the top three, four, five. It's in the top five of what we need as human beings. So we've lost a lot of connection. People get into these places of, of fighting it. Um, of, uh, of what I'm hearing a lot now and what I'm seeing a lot is people saying, you, you know, fight this loss by doing something else to replace it, be productive, 
um, accomplish things, clean your closets, do all these things. I don't know if you're hearing that kind of stuff. It's like, I can, I can, I can watch everything on Netflix that I've always wanted to watch. Well, read all those books, read all these books. Um, I can do that, make my to-do lists for my quarantine days. And that's kind of not allowing yourself to feel, you know, when we get caught in the, I gain and loss instead of feeling, recognizing that there's loss, there's loss. Gain's going to happen. You know, you may have already gained some, gained some extra sleep time or gained some things. But to just recognize that this gain and loss is a natural increment and can you just hold the experience of what the loss feels like? What is, what is this? Can you grieve what's happening right now? And if you're not impacted that greatly, not everyone is, some people are, everyone is in different circumstances. All right, can you be touched by the loss of others? Having that that empathy, that compassion, you know, compassion is um, karuna. The word that is in the word uh, in the suttas is karuna, which means quivering of the heart. That we're touched by the by the uh, the tears of others. So to have some compassion, to recognize that there is loss, but it doesn't mean you have to run right out and fix it. Doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. So to hold that loss and when there's gain to celebrate, that's the mudita side. That's the other heart practice, the appreciative joy. When someone does have something to celebrate, that's why I try and do this in my classes to ask people if they have something nice that's happened in their lives so that we can practice that joy for one another. Because when it's shared, we all benefit. So that's gain and loss. It can be really, really difficult for people. Um, the next one is fame and disgrace or fame and ill repute. Um, this is, um, you know, it's, we, I live in LA. Um, a few of us live in Southern California. So fame is big here because I, I actually live in Burbank and that's an industry. The in, our, our industry in Burbank is movies and TV and music. Disney's here, Warner Brothers here, Universal's here, Elector Records, you know, ABC's here, NBC Universal is next door. I mean, it's the business. And so it's in your face and it's distorted. If you go somewhere else, it's, it's, it's not so um, in your face, but it's not so much fame as being famous, getting your 15 minutes of fame, getting having your tweets go viral for a half a day so that everybody knows who you are. It's oftentimes even just how people see you. You know, how people see you, what people think about you. What are people saying about you? How are you seen? And, it, and it's that, that sense of self-view, sakyaditi, which is a word I love. It's how you see yourself. Are you, do you have an idea of what you're supposed to look like? And do people see you that way? And do, are you forcing yourself to be fit into this, this, um, this model of how you want people to see you? That's getting caught up in this idea of I need to have people think a certain way about me. Um, 
and recognize that. And we see it a lot that once you get to fame, the other side is it goes away. It diminishes. I read a book by Justine Bateman recently called Fame. It's a short book. And she was she was on a hugely popular TV show. Um, maybe in the 80s. I can't even remember what it was because I never watched it. But she was really, was a family something? I don't know. Anyway, it was, um, thanks, Rob. I see you're, you're coming in with an answer here. Family Ties. Thank you. So she was on Family Ties and she was really famous for a little bit of time. And then the fame went away. And so she wrote about, so it was this really great book about what it was like to be famous and what it was like not to be famous after fame went away. And she was really balanced and really solid on, you know, fame and not fame. But some of us get caught up and we'll do whatever we can to, you know, be known or be seen in a certain light. And it always passes. And what if what people are saying about you is not true? Ah, can you let that go? So there, that comes and goes. And this kind of moves into the next pair, which is praise and blame, which is um, um, one that a lot of people struggle with. Again, it's like, I hope they see me in a certain way so I get a pat on the back so that they know I'm a good person. I used to struggle with this at work many, many years ago. If I, I, um, I, I was... If other people were recognized for doing something well, it was everything I could do. And for years, I didn't do it at all. But I tried not to go me too. It was my idea. I started it. Me first. I'm the smart one. They're not blah, 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 blah. And it took in because I needed the praise. I needed the praise. Um, and I could never take the blame. That's a lot of my conditioning. My conditioning is I need to always be right because it was not safe to not be right. So to be blamed for something, my head would explode. Uh, so this was a really hard one for me. So I had to intentionally offer help to other people who needed it at work. And then if they got praised for it, to sit on my hands. To, I mean, to recognize like these craving this urge this attachment to being praised and this inability to have somebody say I don't think you did that well Mary it's like ah. so this is a real struggle you know especially if the blame isn't deserved if you get said if someone says oh you did x y or z and you didn't how does that make you feel inside See, what, what these teachings are pointing to is that we take them so personally that what other people say or think or feel or write about us, we, we take them so personally because we're so invested in this, this view, this point of view that we have to be winners and we have to be famous and we have to be praised and we can't, we can't um, uh, experience pain. It always has to be pleasure, and we and we fight against the other side. We can't be blamed, you know. If we lose, well, then we get blamed for losing, so it just piles on. And so we're caught in that, but it's not true. It happens because we're human beings. 
And, you know, pleasure and pain, that's almost um, goes without saying. It's the root of suffering. We are hardwired to avoid pain at all costs. But we're no longer kind of looking out. We have a different life than our reptilian ancestors. So we don't have to focus so much on that um, um, making sure it's always pleasant and, and watch out for the pain or watch out for what's going to get us. So we have to recognize that we take these things personally, but they're not personal. They happen to every human being. They happen to everyone. I could sit here for the next 20 years like this. People are going to blame me. People are going to praise me. I'm going to win some. The stock market's going to go up. The stock market's going to go down. I don't have to do anything. My 401k is going to do what my 401k is going to do. You know, and I'm just going to sit here. And how I receive that, how I relate to this, is where my freedom is, is where I find equanimity and where I find balance when the winds are blowing, when, when the shit's flying. That's how I find ease in this in this. Um, in this in this world um, there's a quote by Chug, Chogyam Trumpa who's Rinpoche who says equanimity the definition or a definition of equanimity he says enlightened people have completely mastered the restless and paranoid activities of the mind we've mastered the restless and paranoid activities of the mind when the mind is restless and paranoid we are caught up in these eight worldly winds. We're chasing the pleasant and pushing away the unpleasant. But when we see it for what it is, oh, that's just praise. That's just blame. We look, we reflect on it. It's not about, dis it's not again about being spirit uh, spiritual bypass and it's not about dismissing. We don't, we're not dismissive if somebody blames us. We go, oh, is there something here? Do I, did I do something that I have to take accountability for, that I have to um, pay attention to? Because this is a practice of absolute accountability, and that's where the Eightfold Path uh, uh, comes in, where we look at the you know, wise action and sila, ethical behavior, and how we relate to one another. That's, that supports that piece of it. But to, we just kind of... Um, can say, yeah, I did something wrong. What they're saying about me is true, but I'm not going to get bent out of shape about it. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to feel what that feels like in my body right now. I'm not going to get caught up in that if this, then that, blah, 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 have our minds take us in tomorrow or yesterday or somewhere else, but just to be with the uncomfortable experience of what that's like. If it is uncomfortable. We get rid of the paranoid and restless activities of the mind. Last week I, I read a piece that was a little thing about medieval um, monks. And this one guy was talking about the one guy who was writing in 400 AD about the mind um, was like, uh, 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 was drunken and would just bounce. I remember being drunk and having a long hallway in my house and just bouncing from one side to the other. That's kind of what the mind is. 
when um, you're not paying attention, when you're not making effort to see what's happening, being, uh, you know, the heedlessness, non-questioning. So all of these things are important, and I find this this teaching is really easy, or is a is a is a nice way to categorize. Um, if it's beneficial for you, please use it. In the sutta, uh, where the Buddha talks about this, he talks about well, um, well, what well instructed uh, people or um, uninstructed worldlings and instructed worldlings, and he said. Um, what is it? I can get it easily. You know? These eight worldly conditions. Um, yeah, when for an uninstructed run-of-the-mill person, that's people without any practice, there arise all these things, gain, loss, praise, pleasure, pain. Um, and, it, and for people who have been um, instructed and who do have a practice, the difference is that when people without um, um, any practice or people without any wisdom, they are um, blown all over the place. But for people who are instructed, who have practiced, they know we know it's impermanent. We know it's impermanent. We don't. We neither welcome nor rebel. We neither push away or grab onto and go. Right now, it's like this. Right now, it's like this. That is a teaching. That's a lesson in equanimity. Right now, it's like this. You know, what's the reaction? Oh, this is praise. What does that feel like? What does that joy feel like? Or do you, are you the kind of person who pushes away joy? Do you push away happiness? Do you get into a narrative of how can you have joy when the shit's hitting the fan right now? There, you know, there's a lot of crap in this world. How can you laugh? How can you enjoy the beauty of the sky? And it's important that you do. We have to pay attention to what's happening right now. Because if you are denying, if you see a sunrise or see a flower or see something that brings you joy and you say no, you're denying reality. You are getting into a fistfight with reality. You are taking yourself out of the now, even as something as simple as that. So it's important to recognize that and stay present, stay here, stay with. So right now it's like this. What is here? That question, what is this? Not I am, but what is here? Oh, this is praise. Not they hate me or they love me, but what's, oh, this is praise. What's arising? How, how is this being landed? How is, how is this being, how is this landing? Um, letting go of shame, excuse me, letting go of if only, you know, let go of if only, because it is what it is. It doesn't mean you don't take steps to rectify things that are not right or rectify things that are um, uh, harmful. It means you say, I see it. This is the way it is. I'm not going to fight this moment. If I can fix this moving forward, I will. But hold what's present. Hold what's arising. Hmm? 
there's the there's the idea of the mountain that is often talked about um, and there's even meditations where the, they you meditate like a mountain where you're this solid mountain and if you think of mountains um, I'm for a drive up into the mountains yesterday and, and they are solid. You look at them, the rock, the, the solidity of them, and there's rain and there's snow and there's wind and there's all kinds of weather just comes and goes and they are just solid. Cars and animals and all kinds of critters are here and there and they are solid. They get worn away, but it takes a long time takes a long time. So if you rest solidly like a mountain in that place of equanimity, equanimity, you're not blown over by these winds. You experience them. You're not in denial about them. You turn and face them full on. It's, it's like that. It, was remind, it reminded me today when I was thinking about this, that poem, The Invitation by Araya Mountain Dancer. I think that's her name. Um, where she says, I don't care what you do for a living. I want to know um, if you'll face your deepest pain. You know, I don't care what your sign is. I want to know if you will cry in the middle of the night when the children are hurting. Things like that. I, that I'm paraphrasing, but that's that's a poem that she has that says, it doesn't matter whether you're famous, whether you're pretty, how many billions of dollars you have, you know. Where are you when it gets real? Where are you when, when um, life happens? How do you show up for that? Can you hold that? Can you feel that? So those are my couple of thoughts on the eight, eight worldly wins. Are there any questions about this? Does this make sense? Yeah, Mary, I do have a question for you that came out of um, our group discussion. Sure. Sort of at the end there. So we were talking about all the feelings that are coming up, you know, some of us mm -hmm. dealing with maybe a lot of anxiety or feeling hopeless about things. Um, and I guess the question for me is like that feeling where you get to a, where you're in a situation or you're in a place where you feel like your practice isn't enough mm -hmm. or you feel like your practice is falling apart around you. Mm -hmm. Right. So then the question, I guess that I'm, I've been sitting on, I mean, I guess I'm trying my best to be mindful of that and be mindful of my struggle to be mindful, be mindful of my struggle to be present and not judge that. But I guess the question I have is maybe for your input is what, what do you do when you feel like you're 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 struggling to with your practice? When you're struggling with your practice, you mean to do it or? Yeah, yeah. Even to do it. I mean, I, me personally, you know, I usually meditate daily. I had a lot of trouble doing that. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of trouble just even like sitting with my experience. I feel very almost intolerant of that right now. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess is the question, I mean, is the, is it like right now it's like this right now I'm just more intolerant or do I try to fight to be more present or what? Yeah. Thanks Josh. I, that's, um, I don't think it's unusual. I think everyone is probably going through some, some 
form of that, whether it's I'm finding myself unable to do things that I really need to do, um, take care of things that I need to take care of. Nothing's really big, but just why can't I even finish that email? I mean, every day I open my laptop and it's half written and I'm like, it's not a thing, but it is a thing. Um, and so it, it happens with practice, um, happens with everything. I think really right now we are in uncharted territory for us. Most of us have never been through this before. Um, I've talked to people who actually have lived in areas like who come from war zones and who go, oh yeah, I'm familiar. this is familiar. So they have some background, they have some experience in this. Americans living in the US don't have that experience. And so to recognize that it is new and it's the ground is gone, um, what used to work may not work. And just to be kind and to be compassionate towards yourself and to not give up. You know, even if it's a matter of just doing a little bit of Tonglen, which is breathing in anxiety, breathing out calm. Tonglen is a Tibetan practice where you breathe in the difficulty and breathe out um, um, ease or whatever makes sense for you. So like say, breathe in anxiety, breathe out calm, breathe in anxiety, breathe out calm, and do that for a little bit. You know, just maybe not be so hard on yourself either as far as practice, you know. And and when I hear, hear the thing, my practice isn't working, what, is there an attachment to an outcome for your practice? Is the, are you using your practice to make you feel better? Or are you using your practice to just be with? Because sati means be with as well as mindfulness and awareness and, and remembering coming back. It also means being with. So I think that's an important part of this as well. Yes, thank you. You know, I've actually found the Tonglen extremely helpful and you shared it in one of your early podcasts and one of your, your previous talks. Yeah. So thank, thank you for that. Yeah, that because it's 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 not a big thing, it's not a big deal, but it, it can be very calming. And just recognize that it's yeah, there's who knows? Right now it's like this, and it's, and it's not a cop-out. It's like oh, you are bringing your awareness and understanding to, okay, this is what's happening. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.